Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Well, welcome everybody to part two of Pray First. We're so glad you're with us. I want to say a special welcome to all you fine folks online. So glad you're with us. And everybody at South San Jose and Sunnyvale, can we give it up for everybody joining us today? Spread across Silicon Valley. And uh, it's been a good day here at South Bay so far. And uh, one reason why it's a good day is because I got to have my mom here to hear me preach today, which was pretty cool. And, um, you know, the thing I love about that is I know at least, in addition to my wife, Stacy, there will be one person who thinks my message is awesome. So that's great. So um, if you ever have confidence issues, have your mom come listen to you preach. And uh, it's been a great week for us, though, as we've been praying at all of our campuses, 6.30 a.m. to 7.15 and online. Hundreds of people from our church have really been seeking God, saying, this year, 2017, I want to put God in first place in my life. And there's something about setting your heart, your mind, your day, your week, your month, your year on living for God and praying and seeking his heart above everything else. And it was kind of funny to me this week because one day after prayer, some dude came up to me and he's like, man, I'm just, I'm just here because I'm horrible at prayer. I'm, I'm really bad at it. I quote him. He said, I suck at prayer. And I said, yeah, me too. In fact, that's a part of the reason why we're doing this series and why we're doing this emphasis because I struggle so much with this. Now, if you ever meet somebody who says that they're great at prayer, run from them. Because the subject of prayer is really, it's a challenge to learn how to pray. So we've been looking practically from God's word and teachings of Jesus. How do we learn how to pray better? And the question I want to address today or wrestle through is why do we pray in the first place? What's the purpose of prayer? And there's a lot of confusion around why we actually do pray. And to help us today to get our hearts and our minds in the right place to center and focus our attention, I thought it'd be great to watch a clip from a very spiritual movie called Talladega Nights. Dear Lord, baby Jesus, we thank you so much for this bountiful harvest of Domino's, KFC, and the always delicious Taco Bell. I just want to take time to say thank you for my family, my two beautiful, beautiful, handsome, striking sons, Walker and Texas Ranger, or TR, as we call them. Dear Lord, baby Jesus, we also thank you for my wife's father, Chip. We hope that you can use your baby Jesus powers to heal him and his horrible leg. And it smells terrible, and the dogs are always mm. bothering with it. Mm. Dear tiny infant Jesus. Hey, we... um, you know, sweetie, Jesus did grow up. You don't always have to call him baby. Well, look, I like the Christmas Jesus best, and I'm saying grace. When you say grace, you can say it to grown-up Jesus or teenage Jesus or bearded Jesus or whoever you want. You know what I want? I want you to do this grace good so that God will let us win tomorrow. Dear tiny Jesus, in your golden fleece diapers with your tiny little fat balled up fist pawing. He was a man. He had a beard. Look, I like the baby version the best. Do you hear me? Ricky, finish the grace. 
I like to picture Jesus in a tuxedo t-shirt because it says like, I want to be formal, but I'm here to party too. Because I like to party, so I like my Jesus to party. I like to picture Jesus as a ninja fighting off evil samurai. I like to think of Jesus like with giant eagle's wings and singing lead vocals for Leonard Skinner. Hey, Cal, why don't you just shut up? Yes, ma'am. Okay. Dear eight pound, six ounce, newborn infant Jesus, don't even know a word yet, just a little infant, so cuddly, Mm. but still omnipotent. Mm. We just thank you for all the races I've won and $21.2 million. Woo! 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 Ow! Thank you for all your power and your grace, dear baby God. Amen. Amen. You know, sometimes prayer can be confusing, right? Because we come to God with a laundry list of things that we want to see accomplished. And it's humorous to, to, to look at it on a film clip, but... I feel like that so often in my life where I'm, I'm bringing things to God that I want him to do, that I want him to change. And the purpose that God gave to us for prayer is entirely different than that. And so today I want to look at how God uses prayer to change us internally. And he has a different vision for why we should pray than so often we think about. In fact, today we're going to continue our journey through the Lord's Prayer. So if you have a Bible, you can turn to Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 13. And like we did last week, if you were here with us, you'll remember we read this prayer out loud together. I apologize for my voice going away. Nothing I can do about it. I'm going to be applying, applying for the Most Interesting Pastor Alive um, Award soon. So it's the scratchy voice. You know, the Most Interesting Man Alive. Nobody got that joke, but I thought it was funny. So um, will you read with me aloud and help me with my scratchy voice today? This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven... Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. There's power in that prayer that Jesus would give to his early followers. And there was something about the way that Jesus had prayed that they so longed to understand how he understood the heavenly father and to live in such a way that they would be able to pray with power and anointing. And Jesus gives them this prayer, not as a script, but as an outline with key principles and ways to approach God so that it can shift the way that we think and pray. And last week we looked at how we start off with a framing of who God is. Jesus very intentionally began the prayer saying, our father in heaven, hallowed be your name because your view of God will determine your relationship with God. So if you see God as a loving father, you'll approach him. But if you see him as a cosmic killjoy, you're going to run from him. So Jesus says, I want you and God wants you. The father wants you to see him through this lens so that when you're in trouble, so that when you're succeeding, so that when you're at any season of life, you'd understand that your good father, your good, good, loving father wants you to approach him and seek his heart. And then Jesus would continue the prayer with the prayer we'll focus on today when he says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I'd like to spend a few minutes talking about what Jesus meant when he said, your kingdom. Because so much of the misunderstanding that Jesus had with his early followers was around the subject of his kingdom. That's why he taught about it a lot. 
And he would actually teach more about his kingdom than he would teach about the subject of faith. And I have three little statements that are right in this passage and throughout the teachings of Jesus that set up the idea of God's kingdom. And then I want to make it a little bit more practical on the back end of how we can, today in the 21st century, pray God's kingdom into existence in our lives. And if you're taking notes, the first thing I'd like for you to write down is this. Here's what God's kingdom is. God's kingdom, this, this definition comes from the Jesus Storybook Bible, so you know it's legit. Um, we have a Jesus Storybook Bible in our house. We read it to our kids. And sometimes the most powerful principles from God's word are so simple that we want it to be written in the sky in calligraphy. And Jesus, his teachings were so simple that children could understand them. And the description that the Jesus Storybook Bible gives to the kingdom of God, I love this. God's kingdom is wherever God is king. It's wherever he's in charge. And the point that Jesus is making in many ways is that God actually does have an agenda. He has some things that he wants to see accomplished. He has values, he has thoughts, he has priorities, and he has an agenda that he wants to see accomplished in and through your life. And God, wherever he is king, that's where his kingdom is. See, part of the reason why Jesus was persecuted was because in the first century, there was an earthly kingdom, and that earthly kingdom was threatened by Jesus' spiritual kingdom. And so many of his early followers were still so confused because they thought that when Jesus came as the Messiah, that he was trying to establish an earthly kingdom, but Jesus was trying to actually accomplish something entirely different. It was a spiritual kingdom where his rule and his reign would be preeminent or first place in the hearts of humanity and people's hearts that they would experience the joy and the peace that only he could offer. So he came to bring about a kingdom, but primarily a spiritual kingdom. And wherever he is king, that's where his kingdom is. The second is this. God's kingdom is both present and future. It's happening now, and it's going to happen in the future. There will be a day in the future where God's kingdom is fully realized, where all the principles and all the values and what's important to God is present here on planet earth, that there is no more, no more sorrow, no more suffering, no more pain, no more loss, no more tears over skint knees, where it is exactly the way God wants it to be. And you and I today, we live between those two realities. We live between the reality that God is, God's kingdom is coming into existence. Jesus would say, my kingdom is at hand. But also, there's a day when his kingdom will fully be realized. Romans 13, 12 says it like this. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. You guys know that feeling like when you wake up early in the morning and you look outside, sun's starting to come up and your alarm's going off and the thought runs through your mind. What's the thought? Can I get 10 more minutes of sleep, right? You roll back over, you go to sleep, you wake up again, and you're in between the night and the day. And the scripture is saying that you and I right now, we're between the night and the day. You know, the only difference between dawn and dusk is the trajectory of the sun. And Paul is saying that the trajectory is that the kingdom of God is being birthed. It's coming forth as light is shining into darkness. So we get to cooperate with God and the establishment of his kingdom, his light here on planet earth. We're between the darkness and the light. And there will be a day when the light is fully shining, when God's kingdom has fully been realized here on planet earth as it is in heaven. And then the third aspect is this, that God's kingdom is both heaven and earth. It's for both of us. 
It's for what's happening up there or over there, wherever it is, and what's happening here on planet Earth. God wants his kingdom to be established in both places. And when God's kingdom comes on earth, it's as though heaven is meeting earth. And when you look at scripture and you read so much of what God teaches us about the, the kingdom of heaven or God's, the heavenly place, that right now in this moment, seated on a throne, the heavenly father is high and lifted up, being worshiped and adored by angels crying out to him at every moment, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. That's why I love when we, we join and we sing songs of praise to God. We are joining with heaven. As real as New York City or LA or San Francisco is, heaven is just that real. And simultaneously as we're here on planet Earth, stuff is happening up in heaven. And God has a will, an agenda that in heaven is always accomplished. The heavenly father speaks it and it gets done. It's not like here on planet earth when I speak my will and I speak my will and I speak my will, my kids still don't obey. I just keep going. I say it, I say it, do this. Nope, do this, do this. And finally, I threaten, then they do it, right? Well, in heaven, God speaks and it happens. As a part of the beauty of Genesis chapter one, we see the power of the voice of God that when he spoke creation into existence, the heavenly father's will is obeyed immediately, completely, but it's not complied with. It is eagerly and wholeheartedly embraced in heaven. So the angels, they delight in carrying out God's will. And in heaven, everything is exactly as it should be. I love this summer reading a book that touched me deep in my heart. It's called Imagine Heaven. And it was about all these near-death experiences. And regardless of what you think about near-death experiences, I love the picture that people would paint as they would catch glimpses of what it was like in heaven and the joy, the love, the peace, the fact that there was no more sorrow, that there would be no more pain or regret in that place called heaven. So right now, all of that is happening fully. It's fully realized in heaven. And when you come to earth, it's realized, but it's only realized in pockets. So there are homes where God's kingdom is preeminent and it's come into existence. There are homes where God is worshiped and adored. There are churches where God's kingdom is realized. But then at the same time, you can have one church or one house and right next door to it is another house where God's kingdom has not come to fruition. And Jesus gives us this prayer, which is a vision lifter. It's to lift our eyes to realize that you and I as mere human beings can partner with the God of the universe to see the establishment of his rule and his reign here on planet earth so that joy and peace and hope and forgiveness and mercy can be established in our lives. That we can fully realize what God has created us to experience and become the people that God has made us to be. And a part of what we pray for as a church, that's why as I pray for the weekend services, I can visualize what God is doing through our church to realize that every week there are people who come into our services and they have been whooped by the kingdom of the world. And there's sorrow and there's regret and there's frustration and brokenness. You can see it. 
even in people's eyes, some of your eyes, you, you feel it, you carry it in here. And a part of what we're doing is we're praying that when you come into the space that we call the local church, that you'll intersect with the spirit of God and heaven will meet your heart. And you'll leave, we say with our first impressions, the goal is to turn that frown upside down. That you'll leave and you'll walk out of here light and free and fresh air will be breathed into the sails of your life. And we get to partner with God to see his kingdom be realized in the lives and the hearts of people here on planet earth. But at the same time, we live between these two worlds where there's so much brokenness in our heart and there's so much brokenness in our world. You turn on the news and you see in Syria all these stories of racial genocide and you look and you see bombings and shootings and you see people in poverty in our own neighborhood. So there is a disparity between the kingdom of God that has fully come into existence in heaven and the brokenness of our world. And Jesus gives us this prayer, not only to lift our eyes, but to put inside of us a kind of longing and a desire that, that would be so, so much from the depths of who we are that we would, we would want more than anything else to see the rule and the reign, but the goodness and on top of that, of God's grace and mercy be everywhere around us to see our friends and our family and to see our, our workplaces and to see those that we love encounter this grace so that the kingdom of God can be realized fully in their lives. And the reason for us that it is so important to recognize and understand God's kingdom is not coming to fruition in so many places here on planet earth. We have to connect the dots to realize that the reason God's kingdom has not come to fruition in so many places here on planet earth is because God's kingdom has not come to fruition in our hearts. The reason why in the middle of Africa and a jungle, there are little boys who carry around Uzis at 10 and 12 years old, waiting for the chance to blow somebody up is because the leader of that tribe in Africa, the kingdom of God has not been realized in his heart. So anywhere there is brokenness and there is defamation of the human dignity that God wants us to live with, anywhere that that is happening, the kingdom of God is not being realized inside the human heart. So God is wanting to get his hearts into people, his, his kingdom into people, into their hearts so that his kingdom can be realized here on planet earth. In order for God's kingdom to come on earth, his kingdom first must come into our hearts. And that's what I want to talk to you about today. How does God's kingdom get realized internally in our hearts? Because two worlds are colliding. God has a will. We have a will. And the two of them come together. And sometimes it feels like those wills are against one another. It's kind of like in my household, we get the collision of wills. And uh, it started a couple years ago around placemats. I think I've shared this story before. And the kids would fight over who got which placemat. So we bought two identical placemats so that we could have no more fighting. And one of the boys peeled the sticker off the back of his placemat. And now they would argue over the exact same placemat, folks. It's unbelievable. So we, we set this in place, both placemats, stickers off of it, no more arguing. Then the battle became over where we sat at the dinner table. I know, I know, it stresses me out too. So we, we figured out, okay, we'll get two stools for the boys from Ikea. We ordered them, we put them together, two bar stools. The boys sit at the bar stools, they're eight and 10, and they, they, they both have a spot, they both have 
there are placemats that they're not supposed to fight over anymore. This is your spot. This is your spot. Don't fight. Get along, I said, so we can make them get along for a little while. Insert child number three to the mix. It worked fine when she had a high chair, but now she's big enough to sit in a normal chair. So she realized that her brothers fight over the seat. She might as well fight over it as well. So finally, they're getting to this place where first thing in the morning, they're coming down. We're expecting peace in our household. But before the days ever started, they're racing and fighting with each other over who gets the stool. It's unbelievable to me. So they're going back and forth. So I'm like, I'll solve this. I will order a stool on Ikea. Peace in my house is worth $80. So I click on Ikea, order a stool. I get that sucker there. It's the wrong stool. I'm like, okay, so we send it back. And then finally this week, the kids get in such a bad fight over the stools. It sounds like a joke. It's free therapy for me. And um, they get in such a bad fight. Stacy finally like, I'm putting the stools in the garage. You guys could eat on the floor for all I care, is what she says to them. It's amazing, though. We can create a system. We can create rules to get them to comply. But at the end of the day, our goal is not that they would comply. Our goal is that their hearts would be changed. See, when there's the collision of will between your will and God's will, God's will is not to get you to comply to his will. God's desire is to actually change your heart so that from within you would love him and love the things that he loves so that his kingdom would come to fruition in the deepest places of your soul. So some of us today are at that place of God's will is colliding with our will. And what he wants to do is use prayer in your life, not to get you to comply, but to change your heart. See, so often for me, I thought about prayer like this. You guys remember Gumby? Yeah. Yep. Those of you who are 30 and older, you remember Gumby. He, um, he was one of my favorites growing up. And the thing I like about Gumby, he, he's, could you call him an action figure? It's kind of, I got a Gumby action figure here. But Gumby, he, you could twist him. You could make him do whatever you want. You could bend him in whichever direction. And um, he had a little horse here. You guys remember his horse's name? Pokey. Pokey. Yep. Got Gum, Gumby and Pokey. And um, Gumby could get twisted all up in knots. It's amazing. He could get his legs bent out of shape. You know, he could turn like that right there, do the splits. That must hurt Gumby. And um, you know what's amazing though is Gumby, straighten him back out for you. Um, Gumby's a lot like you and me because life has a way of twisting us in knots, right? You get in a fight with somebody at work, you, you, your parents are mean to you, you lose your job, you, you didn't get the promotion that you thought you would get. And sometimes we come to God and we're like this right here. And we're like, God, I just, I just need you to, to fix it. Just give me that promotion. Just work it out. Give me that baby. We, we have this laundry list of things, and we try to get God to bend his will to ours. That's one of the primary misunderstandings that we have with prayer. If you don't hear anything else I say for the entire day, you could go to sleep or shop on Amazon afterwards. Just listen to this one thing, okay? The goal of prayer is not to get God to conform or bend his will to yours, but to bend your will to God's. So often in my life when I would pray, I would pray. I wouldn't say it 
but I would think it. My kingdom come, my will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And Jesus gives us this beautiful prayer because it's an opportunity for God to shift the focal point of our hearts and our minds to bend our will, to change our thought process, to change our heart, to get us pointed and focused in the direction that God wants for our lives. If I could tell you how many times in my life I have gone into the closet to pray, and when I went into the closet to pray, I was frustrated with some situation, I was anxious, I was overwhelmed, I had somebody I hadn't forgiven and gone in there and prayed and sought God's heart for 15, 20 minutes and came out with a new sense of peace and joy and hope for my life. Because God, listen, God can use prayer to change your life. He can use your prayers to change your heart if you will let him. So Psalm 139 gives us how that happens. It says in Psalm 139 verse 23, search me, O God, and know my heart and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is anything offensive inside of me and lead me on the path everlasting. Lead me in, the, in accordance with your ways. David gives us right here three specific things that God can change through prayers. The first of these is your heart. Proverbs 4.23 says, above everything else, guard your heart for it's the wellspring of your life. Sometimes we think that God is just after getting us to comply and change our ways, but way more than changing your ways, God is after changing your heart because he knows if he can get your heart to change, everything else will follow. So prayer is an opportunity to come before God to say, God, would you help me love what you love? Would you help me want what you want? Would you help me hate the things that you hate? Would you change me from the inside out? Would you take my heart and give me a new heart? Psalm 51.10 says, create inside of me a pure heart and renew a steadfast spirit within me. God can use prayer to change your heart, to change your desires, to change your wants. Back when Stacy and I were in college, we used to go to the library to study together and we were dating at that time. And I actually wouldn't study. I would just go to be with her. And um, that's probably part of the reason why she got a 4.0 and I barely made it through college. But it was time well spent. And at the end of the time we would be in the library, there was a fast food spot down the road. I won't say which one it was, but they had quarter pounders with cheese for specials. And uh, we'd go down there at like 1030 at night and we would get two quarter pounders with cheese and we would eat them and the fries and the Coke on the way back and... It's gross, man. We would just eat like, we'd eat so many. It's unbelievable. I'm, I'm surprised I'm still alive after all of it. And um, now, 14 years later, I look back at what we used to do, and it, it's repulsive to me. Like fast food now, that same fast food, it just makes me want to vomit. Now, that fast food won't send you to hell. I'm not judging you, but it will make you get there faster. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Um, but you know, God has, God has changed me in so many ways. What's true physically is also true spiritually. Because now I don't desire the same food, but there are also areas of my heart. There are places that I used to struggle, but God, by his grace and his mercy over the course of time, has changed my desires. And so if you will ask God, if you will seek him, if you will ask him to help you value what he values, he'll start to shift your heart. That's why I'm so pumped about what we're doing this weekend. You'll hear more about it with our GLOW ministry, with all of our outreach efforts, both here and locally, both locally and globally. 
Because when you start to get exposed to the reality of brokenness in our world and you get on mission with God, he starts to shift your heart and you start to care about what God cares about. And then when he gets that place right, your heart, the other facets of your life begin to shift and follow. So David says, it's not just your heart. It's not just God putting inside of you a new heart. It's also, secondly, your mind. Because the way that you live, you're moving in the direction of your, of your most dominant thoughts right now. So you have a heart that God wants to shift, but David said, create in me a pure heart. He says, give me a steadfast spirit, test my heart, and know my anxious thoughts, and lead me in the way everlasting. See, again, our thoughts can get us all twisted up. Worry, anxiety, how are we going to take care of the bills? frustration with relationships and we think about it. And what happens to me is that I get caught in patterns of thought and those patterns of thought can go on for days. And those patterns of thought can begin to destroy the way I relate to others, to friends and family members and people that I love so dearly. But prayer is one of the most significant tools that God gives to us to let our thoughts be reoriented in the right direction. At a time at the end of the year last year, where financially, God, God's been very gracious to our church. As you can see, he's blessed us in many ways, but we were at this place where we're trying to make decisions about the Sunnyvale, Sunnyvale building and what we would be able to do with construction and kind of what I had in mind and where we landed, we were going to be able to do some of the things that I had in mind. So we had these meetings where we had to cut some of the stuff from the budget and I started to get frustrated and anxious and I'm worried how it's all gonna happen. So we got into these budget meetings and I was like, no, cut that, no, cut that, no, cut that. Get rid of the Cheerios from Bay Kids. Come on, just keep on going. I'm just, I'm just kidding. We, will, we love our kids way too much to ever get rid of the Cheerios. Um, we want you parents to come back and feel safe that we stuffed your kids' face with Cheerios during, during this hour that we have together. But, but the point is, I was, I was so worked up over it and my stress was affecting everybody else on our team. And I specifically remembered there was one week that I took this before God and I was like, God, I, I need your thoughts. Your ways are not my ways and your thoughts are not my thoughts. And I, I, need, I need to see this the way you see it. And I felt like in that moment, God said, Andy, I want to take you on a journey. I want you to remember six years ago. And I want you to remember when you prayed that I would provide the resources for North San Jose and how I provided every dollar. And it seemed tight and it was short, but I was faithful. And I want you to remember when you called our people to give sacrificially to start the Sunnyvale campus and how they gave and I launched it. And remember this and remember when I did that and that time over there when I provided here, Andy, I have been faithful. And by the way, I led you there. I led this church to the place that it is today and I'm not gonna leave you. I'm not going to get you to this point and just drop you so you can have confidence that me, the same God who's been faithful to you in the past, will carry you into the future so you can face your current challenge and your struggle knowing that I am for you and not against you. So get up off those knees and with confidence, go back in that room and give peace, not anxiety to your team. Tell them how good I am, and I'm going to carry them right through it. And remember, just that confidence that came as God started to shift my thoughts. Some of you today, you're, you're stuck in this circular motion of your thoughts, and today God, like Gumby, can get you all straightened out so that you can face Monday and go back to this week. Every moment 
of every day, you have a heavenly father that is waiting for you to seek his heart. And he can change your heart, your mind, and then lastly, but certainly not least, he can change your ways through prayer. Psalm 139, as David says it, King David, he says, see if there is any way offensive in me and lead me in the way everlasting. When God gets your heart dialed then and your thoughts in the right direction, he's gonna start changing your ways. And as I was praying this week, sometimes I just get an overwhelming burden for our church about specific areas. And the thing that I felt like God was really saying to me this week is there are some of you that he's been speaking to you about an area of your life to change and you just continue to resist his will. He wants you to drop that relationship. He wants some of you to start trusting him financially. Others that there are areas of bitterness and forgiveness in your past, but there's something, there's a number of you today that the enemy has a hold of your life and there's a lot of fear of relinquishing control of your life to God, of giving full carte blanche surrender to him to say, God, it's, it's all yours. But what you need to hear today is that it's virtually impossible. Listen, it's virtually impossible to grow in your relationship with God when you are living in disobedience to his ways. It's virtually impossible to grow spiritually if God's told you to do something and you haven't done it. And sometimes we come to church and we play this game spiritually. And we think if I could just get a little bit more information, if I could get a little bit more knowledge, if I, if I could get, we do this even with our physical fitness, if I download that app, then I'm gonna get in shape. But really at the end of the day, you already know what to do. You already know what to execute and to put into place in your life. And then we start blaming everybody else. It's kind of like somebody who went to the gym over and over and over again, but never did what they said to do at the gym, and then they didn't get in shape, and then they blame the gym for not getting in shape. People do that with their church, too. Like, well, if the pastor preached a little bit more Greek and Hebrew, then I'd grow spiritually. But in reality, that's not the issue. The issue is that God told you to do some things, and you didn't do them. And I'm not here to judge you. I'm here because I feel like God is so good and so merciful and so gracious and his ways are so much better than what we can fathom. And some of us are just on the other side of experience the fullness of his blessing in our lives and we're at that internal struggle. Do I trust him? Do I trust him with my relationships? Do I trust him with my finances? Do I trust him with every part of who I am? One act of surrender to God can change everything in your life. It really can. It doesn't have to be this like long drawn out process. It can just be, God, I need you. I, I, I don't have this thing figured out and I desperately want to live your kingdom in my life. You know, the best way to get God's hand of favor on your life is to actually care about his kingdom and to live unto his kingdom. People sometimes will come to our church and they're like, hey, how do you get God's favor? Like, is there a magical prayer, a formula, or a strategy you can put into place? And every time I have that conversation, I say, no. The, the way to get God's favor is actually to care about what he cares about. It's kind of like we started this thing called Foster the Bay, and all of these miracles have happened for our church because of Foster the Bay. 
finances, doors that were open. It's not because we had a great strategy. It's, it's because God really cares about eight and 10 year old little boys and girls that don't have a home to live in. And the reason God's grown our church is not because like we're some awesome set of leaders. And we have awesome dream team members, but I can tell you at the top, we got a lot of brokenness. It's not because of that. It's because we really do care about what God cares about. We care about the fact that 95% of our community right now is apart from God and will spend eternity apart from Him. So we'll leverage every resource and every dollar and every ounce of energy we have to do anything we can to make this the hardest place in the world to go to hell from. When you start to put God's kingdom first in your life, His blessing and His favor flows over your life. And he wants to get you positioned that way today. See, for Jesus, this prayer wasn't like some just haphazard outline of a prayer. This was the very essence of how Jesus lived. In fact, at the end of Jesus' life, when he would be facing a rugged Roman cross for the sins of the world, he would go into the small garden called the Garden of Gethsemane, and he would pray to his heavenly Father, the one who he had a perfect relationship with, and he would pray the words of this prayer. He would say, Father, if there's, if there's any way that your kingdom could come without me having to go to a cross, just let it be. But not my will, your will be done. Not my will, but your will be done. It's painful to live according to the kingdom of God. There's a lot of scars on the backs of people who've chosen to follow Jesus. It's not easy. And when you live with that myth, you're always frustrated at God. You're always frustrated at your situation and your circumstance because it didn't work out the way that you wanted to. But the pain of regret is far worse than the pain of disobedience. And today you get to choose your pain. You get to choose whether or not you will say to God, yes, Lord, walking in your ways, I want to wait for you and I want to live for you. Or will you choose the pain of regret as God is working on your heart over and over and over and over again and you're saying, nope, I'm going to do it my own way. There's tremendous anxiety and frustration with that. And the only way, listen, the only way to fully get peace into your heart is to live according to the kingdom of God and to fully trust him. You and I don't have the level of wisdom and knowledge and strength that we need to live our lives on our own. And your perfect, perfect, loving Father is saying to you, I want so much more for you, so will you give control of your life to me? Will you bow your head and pray with me as we wrap up our time together? In the space of this moment, your father is waiting for you and he loves you. You might be here today and this is like your first time ever to hear about this God. You've thought about him. You've wrestled through the reality and he's brought you to this place to tell you he came so that you could have life and have it abundantly. He came and died on a cross and went back to heaven and now he's seated at the place of honor and glory and he's inviting you to receive his salvation, his grace and mercy into your life. And simply by surrendering your heart to him today can be that day of salvation for you. Would you tell him, God, I surrender to you. One act of surrender can change everything in our lives. Others of you who are followers of Jesus today, you've been living in disobedience to God. 
And he's saying to you, today is your day to start trusting me in a level that you never have before. Would you tell him today what it is that you want to start trusting him with? Let him get in your heart. Don't resist him anymore. He's not going to push you away. He's not here to judge. He's not here to condemn. Every act and intention that he's had towards you, your entire life has been good. He always wants to bless you. He always is for you and not against you. So in his grace and in his infinite mercy and wisdom, he's coming to you today and saying to you, my son, my daughter, will you trust me? Will you trust me? We love you, Jesus. And we're so grateful today. So grateful for your mercy and that you are here in this place. Would you help us trust you? Jesus, may your kingdom come really, and your will be done. We want it on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.